who ministers to our young people on our behalf. Uh, okay, they're bringing up their offering. That's really timely for what we're talking about today. Um, so before we read the scripture, uh, I want to just introduce it a little bit and by way of telling you a, a few things. One, um, when I was first called to Trinity Church, um, some of you may be aware of Trinity Presbyterian uh, in Atlanta, in 2010, we worked out the date that I was to start, and it was the first uh, Sunday in October, and when I first met with the associate pastor there, and we were going through the calendar, uh, he looked up, he goes, that's the start of our annual stewardship campaign. Uh, do you want us to push the start so you don't have to have your first sermon be about stewardship? Now, does anybody know why he would say that? Money is so emotionally charged, isn't it? I mean, can you think of anything that people get in more conflict about? globally and in families. I won't ask you to raise your hands. How many of you have maybe had a disagreement with a spouse about money? Teenagers, anybody fighting with your parents about money? One of the most interesting uh, little moments I have, I like to pay attention to things I overhear. I was in Target one day and I saw this mother just, oh, struggling with this, like, five-year-old little girl. And the girl was turning her back and crying and crying, and the mother was pleading with her. And when I got over there, the, the little girl turned around. She goes, I don't care one bit about money. <laughs> of course. She didn't quite understand that she needed money to get what she wanted. She only cared about what she wanted. Anyway, all this is the way of saying... I decided I, of course, wanted to preach my first stewardship, my first sermon on stewardship, because it's never just about money. Annie Dillard has this great saying, the way we spend our days is, of course, the way we spend our lives, and I think you can put in there the way we spend our money is, of course, the way we spend our lives. So talking about money is not about primarily getting you to give so that we can raise more money. It is about talking about the Christian life and the practice of generosity. And teenagers, don't tune me out, because let me tell you something. I just read this this week. The average teenager spends their own hands, either clicking or giving or whatever, close to $2,500 a year, collectively $258 billion spent by teenagers. That doesn't count the influence they have over what their parents spend. So this is for everybody to think about and how, what it has to do with your life of faith. So we're going to read a scripture together. And uh, while Ellie and Marchant are making their way up here for us to do this reading, let me offer a prayer. O oh, gracious God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, may these ancient words today be for us a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. 
we pray in Christ's name, in whose way we seek to follow. Amen. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, what must I do? Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not make false testimony. You shall not be fraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, go. So everything you have, you give to the poor. You will have a treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard is it for the rich? The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With human beings, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, guys. What should I do? What must I do? Has that question, what should I do? been on your heart, in your mind, on your lips recently? It most certainly will be for all of us at various times in our lives. It starts young. What must I do to get my mother to give me the thing I want? Thought the little girl in Target. with eagerness and anticipation when we're young, we wonder, what must I do to win the affection of that person I have a crush on or the acceptance of that group I want to be a part of? What must I do? We wring our hands and ask ourselves with anxiety in order to get into that college, in order to earn that scholarship. What must I do, we ask with determination once we get that job, in order to get the raise, the promotion? With regret, we may sometimes wonder, what must I do to regain the trust of someone whose trust I have broken? with desperation, we may wonder, what must I do to address the political issues of our time that are dividing countries, families, and churches? 
With resentment, we may ask someone one day, what do I have to do to please you? With exacerbation, we may wonder, what do I have to do to raise grateful children, to raise children who are responsible and happy and polite and kind? What do I have to do? We might ask, what can I do to break through to my sullen and withdrawn teenager? And young people might ask, what do I have to do to get my parents off my back? On dark nights and tough days, we might simply ponder the question, what do I have to do to be happy? But not only do we ask, what do I have to do at these major turning points or inflection points in our lives, it's part of our daily and weekly routine, isn't it? To-do list. What must I do? What should I do? It's a question on the hearts and the lips of people who want to get things right, people who want to be accomplished, people who want to exceed expectations, people, dare I say, a lot like us. Our scripture passage today tells the story of a man a lot like us. We've come to call him the rich, young ruler. Of course, in the passage we read, all we know about him is that he's rich. Matthew tells us he was young, and Luke tells us he was powerful. So we call him the rich, young ruler. And he comes to Jesus and says, what do I have to do? Give me the job description, give me the to-do list, and I will conquer it just like I've conquered everything else in my life. In some ways, he's a surprising candidate to come and throw himself at the feet of Jesus. He has it all. He takes the posture of someone who's asking for healing. We see that in other stories in Mark, people who throw themselves at Jesus' feet and say, Jesus, heal me if you can, if you will. This guy, although he takes that posture, he betrays his own real posture in his heart because he never says, Jesus, I need. What he says is, I have done. And what must I do? And Jesus responds with telling him what he must give. What must I do in order to get, he asks, what must I do to inherit or get eternal life? By the way, eternal life, kingdom of heaven, just th those are not terms that have to do with, in the ancient world, something that happens after you die. 
Eternal life is a life, it's, the, it's that zoe, it's the energy of life that transcends time. And so what he's really saying is, how do I live in that God time, in that God life? The kingdom of God is about where God's rule reigns. So he's really saying, what, what must I do to live in God? What must I do to get that? What must I do in order to get? And Jesus says, this is what you must give in order to live. So what exactly is the difference between giving and doing? Isn't like selling everything doing something? Yes, but the thrust of what Jesus says is go, sell, give, and follow. Giving and doing. Let's think for a minute about some of the differences. Giving is about acquiring. Doing is about abandoning. I, I, I messed that up, didn't I? Doing is about acquiring, and giving is about abandoning. Doing is about what can I get? What can I acquire? What can become mine? What do I have to do in order to get? But giving is about letting go. It's about releasing. There's a great parable about a, a, a very poor man who begged for a living, and, and he, he had a dream that there was a man by the river who had a, a an valuable stone. So he woke up and he ran down to the river and he saw a man sitting there in complete peace and he said, give me your stone. And the man said, I, what do you mean? He said, I had a dream. He goes, oh, do you mean this? And he pulls out this magnificent diamond. And he gives it to the man. And the man says, can't believe how lucky he is that I just gave it to him. He goes back and he becomes very wealthy. He's very, a year later, he comes back dressed as a wealthy person. And he tells this man, I, I've become wealthy. I, I have everything I want everything I need and more. And the man sitting by the river in peace said, well, why, why have you returned? Because I want the thing I don't have. And that is whatever it is inside of you that allowed you to give me that stone so freely. Doing is about acquiring. Giving is about releasing. Abandoning letting go. Doing is about securing for ourselves. Giving is about sharing of ourselves. Doing is about control. Giving is about compassion. Compassion is a word that means to suffer with. To suffer with. One of my favorite Old Testament professors and good friend, Kathleen O'Connor, says, if we don't get this right, we go out into the world thinking we are arrogant fixers. Not people just as needy as everyone else. I need, we sang today, Lord, I need you. That is the beginning 
of the spiritual life. Knowing that we need just as everyone else does. Doing is about achievement. Giving is about accepting. The life of discipleship is not about trying out for a team or auditioning for a part or earning a promotion. It is about a gift, freely given from God. The passage right before this story, Jesus says, here's a child, unless you receive the kingdom like a child, you'll never really take it in. Apostle Paul said, what, what really do you have that you didn't receive? To receive our lives and God as a gift is the beginning of generosity. And we can respond to that gift of our life by making our lives a gift. So I do want people who are engaged in this community, we are gonna have a town hall in a few minutes and we're going to talk about the end of our fiscal year, where we stand, family business. You're all welcome to stay, even if you're not an active part of this membership. But I, I hope you'll think and pray and talk to the other people with whom you make these decisions about supporting the mission of this church, where we are seeking to encourage one another to follow Jesus in the world and amongst each other. So we're going to talk about that, and I hope you'll think about that. But it's really about your whole life, all that we have and all that we are. And so my question to you that I hope you'll also talk about is what would it be like to make the shift? Rather than whatever question came to your mind where you're asking, what should I do, what should I do? What if you asked about that same situation what should I give? What if we asked our children instead, what do you want to do when you grow up? If we asked them, what do you want to give when you grow up? What if when we met people at a party, instead of saying, what do you do? We said, how do you give of your life and your time? What would that shift feel like? Maybe, just maybe, it would make us all a little more conscious that all that we have and all that we are is pure gift, and our lives can be a gift, all that we have and all that we are, given back to the one who has given all for us. Amen. I am going to ask the cool family to come forward.